I want to welcome all those tuning in to our Southwest Climate Podcast for November. Today's Friday, November 15, and once again, I'm accompanied by two climatologists, Drs. Greg Garfin and Mike Crimmins, both here at the University of Arizona. I'm Zach Guido, and today we'll be discussing the state and fate of ENSO this winter and what that means for our uh, winter forecast, and there's some interesting twists and turns there. And if we have time, we'll discuss what our version of Hurricane Sandy looks like here in the Southwest. So with that, uh, I'll start. I think we need a little context. Um, right now, we're transitioning into the winter season, uh, which usually brings a large fraction of our uh, annual precipitation. So Mike, if you could just uh, set the tone here and tell us where we sort of stand with drought um, and, and precipitation in, in the previous months. Well, it, it rained once, as far as I can tell. Um, it really was. It was not a very exciting October, mid-November period as we've seen so far. Um, I'm thinking back to what the weather was like in October, and it was, um, I got annoyed with how warm it was running into October. I don't know what I expect here in Arizona, but um, we were still pushing 90 degrees every day, um, and it was dry. Um, the only precip event I think that we actually had, <clears throat> sort of across through Arizona and New Mexico, actually happened about the first week, um, maybe the middle of the second week in November, I think it was about November 9th or 10th, we finally had a little taste of winter. We had a nice little cold front drop down out of the, out of the Pacific Northwest and um, bring a pretty decent amount of rain and a little bit of snow to the high country of Arizona and a little bit to New Mexico. New Mexico did not see much with this event. So that was our only shot of rain in the last um, basically six weeks since the monsoon shut down in, in mid-September. So what's that? What's the state of drought then? Drought has not improved? No. So the, the U.S. Drought Monitor has had um, basically no, well, I can't say no, very little movement on it in the last um, six weeks. We've, um, all of Arizona and New Mexico are observing some level of drought with the U.S. Drought Monitor. Most of it's at the moderate, all, actually almost all of it's at the moderate. We do have some pretty good pockets of severe and even some extreme drought in um, parts of um, New Mexico. So that situation, warm, dry conditions. And again, this is not terribly unusual for October and November. Um, we were talking earlier that if you look at the long-term record for October and November, you have lots and lots of dry years, and then you have a couple where a tropical storm came in and dropped 10 inches of rain. So that background climatology is its kind of a tricky thing to work with when we're trying to figure out, is it above average, below average? Because the average doesn't tell you a whole lot about these particular months. Okay, um, so looking at than the current state of our water supply. That, however, seems to be in a more dire situation than we've, we've seen in, in the recent past. I think uh, most of the, the reservoirs in New Mexico are uh, much below average, much below 50%, with some of them you know, teetering on, on near empty. Uh, Greg, you have any comments? You're, you're the you're the you're the reservoir guy. What what can you tell yeah, us about the well, reservoirs? You know, again, the situation is uh, is far more dire in New Mexico uh, than it is in Arizona. And uh, for example, of the uh, 13 reservoirs that the uh, USDA Natural uh, Conservation Research uh, Service um, tracks in New Mexico um, and th that have a, a combined capacity of, of more than 8 million acre-feet, they're at 19% of capacity, so less than 2 million acre-feet. And the really 
big one that's very important for interstate and international compacts with uh, Mexico is the Elephant Butte Reservoir in uh, south central New Mexico. And that's at something along uh, the lines of about 5% of its capacity. It's a massive reservoir. Uh, we don't see as many photos here in Tucson of uh, Elephant Butte Reservoir as we do of um, Lake Mead and Lake Powell, but Elephant Butte also has, you know, so-called bathtub ring. And many of the other reservoirs along the Pecos River, the Canadian River, and the, uh, the upper uh, stretches of the Rio Grande are uh, pretty darn low. So has... But all of these rivers, or the ones that you've mentioned, the Rio Grande, the Pecos, they, they originate, most of their water comes from, from the mountains, either in Colorado or northern New Mexico. And so the monsoon season, which was sort of hit or miss and, mm -hmm. and near average, doesn't really play a role for, the, for these guys. Not too much. So, so what, what's been the state in the last... So how did we get to this current situation? I mean, this is, this is long time in coming. I mean, the fact that Elephant Butte is 5% of its, you know... Two, two plus million acre feet. I, that takes a long time to get there. Yeah, so I, uh, you know, guess I'd point the um, point the finger at uh, the long term drought and um, a series of uh, La Nina years in the last couple of years that have just absolutely robbed us of of snowpack and that for the Rio Grande. Yeah, I think you could even go back to um, the last El Nino event of um, 09, uh, late 2009, early 2010 was um, it was good. It came in here and it, and it gave a, a good bit of precipitation, but it was so short. And spring came really early that year. It warmed up very quickly. Um, and so any of the benefit of that sort of, in, and that again, that was in the middle of a, another string of dry years. So um, we just, we really can't catch a break. Even when things, when times are good, they're not really good enough to, to put us ahead in any meaningful way. But if I recall um, two years ago, when it was a f the stronger of the two back-to-back -back La Niñas, the upper Colorado River Basin didn't really see as dry conditions as we saw down here. Is that... Is that correct? Yeah, that in <clears throat> gangbusters. That was the the winter of atmospheric rivers, um, sort of sailing into central California and um, through northern Utah and the upper part of the Colorado River Basin. I mean, that that's where the stories of setting snowfall records occurred. That was where people were skiing. The people skied year round in Lake Tahoe that year because of snowpack levels. Um, and again, those that was such a that would be really hard to see coming. I think so. This just I'm just looking at a map here of, of the reservoirs and the the map shows that many of them are like Greg mentioned are, are are near empty and so this is somewhat unprecedented. I mean we're like like we talked about it's taken a little bit of time to come here, but suppose we get another dry winter. What where where does that put us? Is is this our you know our version of of, of Hurricane Sandy? I mean is is a is a a perilous water situation, you know, difficult to deal with. Right? That's a great analogy, Zach. I, you know, I think uh, if, if we ended up with another snowless winter in northern New Mexico, southern Colorado, 
That would cause a lot of grief. I mean, already there have been cutbacks in water allocations in the lower Rio Grande and the Pecos River. So irrigators would be uh, in you know deep trouble. And then I think uh, there'd probably be some compact issues there, you know, with New Mexico's ability to um, provide uh, water down to uh, Texas and Mexico. And well, speaking of Mexico, actually, it's not like it, the reservoirs down there are, are brimming with uh, with water either. So, and so this this sort of all begs the question and. and Mike, I'll turn this over to you because I think you, you pay particularly close attention to this. But what what are we thinking about in terms of this winter? Like what what's going to happen? Both I'm I'm interested both in the Upper Rio Grande, but also in the in, in the Upper Colorado. Yeah, I I don't think we really know. Um, I I think um, the sun will come up in the morning. Um, it may rain once or twice, um, but we don't have a whole lot more to go on. Um, you know, we lost so that I think sort of the thinking back about how we got to this point of looking forward to the winter forecast was that in the middle of the summer, we saw an El Nino event developing in the, um, the equatorial Pacific, which gave us a little bit of, of hope that that was going to drive a potentially a wet pattern across the southwest, give Arizona and New Mexico finally a bit of a break with some winter precipitation because we've been falling behind for a while. And since watching that in July, into August, into September, that event it, it fell apart. I mean, there's no other way to say it. And we're actually to the point right now where it's it's sort of there in the Pacific, but the um, the real important element to that is is that the atmosphere has has refused to notice that this event is going on. And you need to have the atmosphere and the ocean dance together to keep an event um, either going or forming or or um, strengthening through the winter. And the fact that the uh, atmosphere has rebuffed the ocean and its advances, oh, that's sort of suggestive, isn't it, in its own, in its own way, and it kind of is, is that um, that means that it probably won't progress any further. I mean, there's a real, that's where we're at right now, is that we don't expect the El Nino event to move any, any further towards an El Nino. So that puts us in the situation that if we don't see an El Nino event on the ground and a real strong atmospheric response, we don't have any indication of how the atmosphere might play out in the winter. So it puts us in the situation where you know, anything could happen. You know, weather sort of takes over and, you you know, you get a snowstorm here, you get a snowstorm there, where it rains, where it doesn't. We're not really sure. And what? And is there any indication in the historical record when you look at, so we're in an ENSO neutral year now. Yeah. Like when you slice and dice the, the historical record, is there any, like, does it tip the odds in any one way or the other? For Arizona and New Mexico, you get the full gamut of events um, for neutral years. You know, you've got some of our driest and some of our wettest. Um, that play out, and this is for Arizona and New Mexico. You go to the upper Colorado River Basin, you go to Utah and Colorado, they're not, they don't really care too much about ENSO because they're at this transition point where the, the you know, it's, it's a sort of a, what we call these centers of action where the, the action really happens with these events is between the Pacific Northwest and the Southwest. So what happens in between isn't as much of a consequence for them. So again, that, that we just don't have any real strong information about what, how the winter plays out going on for the whole West for, for all intents and purposes. Yeah, neutral is a tough forecast. It is, yeah, absolutely. But the CPC, the Climate Prediction Center, uh, who offers the official forecast, has actually hedged their bets a little bit toward toward dry. In fact, the percentages that they assign to it aren't even that low. It's somewhere between 40 and 50% for 
a drier than um, than average, you know. And then when you look at a, a you know a, a two tiered forecast, just above or below average, it's the percentages are even are even higher. So what are what are they queuing into? I I'm not sure. I, I um, I'm really curious to see how this this winter plays out. Um, I mean, because watching the progression from the typical using the analogs with El Nino in the in the summertime, which is why we were suggesting some wet conditions playing out over the winter here, to being not sure we're going to Enso neutral. To, so that would then be a forecast where we don't have a lot of indications. So we give this this equal chances forecast, which means we don't have enough information. To now for that January, February, March period, and I think even the later period of having this shift towards an enhanced probability of dry conditions. So that so you know playing the odds that there's some expectation that will fall below um, over that period. Um, I think some of it is is that the suites of general circulation models, global global climate models, are suggesting sort of a wet, or I'm sorry, a dry pattern emerging across the Southwest. So. They're, they're, they're leaning on that tool a little more than they do in normally, right? So they're, so they're feeling that there's some, there's some information coming out of those models that suggest. I don't think anybody's sure why, um, but again, this is how this climate business works. You know, this, is the, that, this type of forecast over this period of time, three to six months, is really hard to do. Yeah, the NOAA um, climate forecast system version 2 model um, is really sort of pushing for things to dive down into more That's right. progress towards a more La Nina-like state pretty rapidly. Pretty rapidly, right. And, you know, I was looking last night at uh, Klaus Walter's uh, uh, multivariate ENSO index. And uh, if you look at the, at the way um, the index has progressed, wow, that, you know, the you would think that the El Nino came and went and like we didn't even know it was there. Right, right. Yeah. right. And I, I, Greg pointed out something really critical was that it's one of the models actually is pretty bullish with the dry signal across. Um, it's, and it's really all the way from um, Washington down through Arizona, New Mexico. It's this climate forecast system version 2. And it's, it's the one that they sort of manage and push the science on, right? But if you look at the suite of all the other models, not all of them say that, right? So I'm still I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna still back off a little bit of my sort of personal right. and tell you that I'm not sure how it's gonna play out. And um, I think if it does turn out dry, we have some, we have another event in the queue to to maybe sort of figure out how these models work and maybe use them a little bit more um, um, more aggressively as we get into these situations where we don't have good strong El Nino La Nina signals. So then just to, to wrap this up, um, you know, looking, looking to the next month or next two months, what are you guys going to be you know, focusing your eye on in terms of um, events that may, may unfold or, or, or changes in the weather that would tip the scale one way or the other in terms of what we, what we may expect for this, uh, for this winter? Yeah, so um, as an avid uh, fan of the uh, weekly uh, El Nino update from uh, the NOAA Climate Prediction Center. The thing that, that we could you know, perhaps rely on uh, would be these pulses associated with the uh, MJO. Another so, acronym. Another, yes, another, uh, a, a basically one to two month um, you know, kind of periodic push of, 
of storms that track along the equator, basically from west to east. And sometimes you get some major pulses of those things coming out of the Indian Ocean straight across, and they um, they can also help you know push uh, warm water across the um, the Pacific and uh, and. Uh, on those timescales of, of one to two months, they can um, alter storm tracks. They can really help the jet stream, you know, tap into tropical moisture or, or suppress it. You know, so those, those are kind of our best bet. Right. I, you know, what I'm going to be looking for is to make sure um, or, or to, to cheer the jet stream on that it doesn't get <laughs> stuck. Right, I mean that that's been the problem in the last couple of years is these strong La Nina events create blocking patterns, right? And you get stuck in Groundhog Day weather patterns. And the the thing that's going for us this year um, is not in, in a neutral condition is that you don't have this stone in the stream to necessarily block us out of weather events, right? So we play the odds. We don't get that many winter storms in Arizona anyways, right? So the so the the hope is is that we get an average number, you know, which is sometimes half a dozen, right? And that those storms connect on some subtropical moisture like Greg is talking about, and that we get a handful of precipitation events. You know, that's that's as good as I think is we can hope for coming into here, right? And my also hope is is that they're spread out throughout the season and like we don't get them all in in two weeks in December and that the rest of the spring is dry right so that's a lot to ask for (laughs) in Arizona Um, but you know I think if we come out of here with again a half dozen storms and they they linger into February um, we can counter counter lucky stars Um, I don't think that it's gonna end up being an above average winter if and if it is it's gonna be because of one or two gangbuster events and then if you think about that in broader context, none of those scenarios put you in a situation that absolve or resolve drought, mm-hmm. right? So I th- however you, you, you play out the scenarios, I think Arizona is still going to be in drought by spring, and I think New Mexico is still going to be in drought by spring. The reservoirs will definitely be still low no matter what happens. I think so. Is- unless you get, you know, unless we get, unless it's a cold winter and we put up, down some serious snowpack, which I, I just, I'm not sure what that looks like, yeah. the weather pattern right well, now. Yeah, well, the, the, the other thing for us to think about, since the, uh, the levels have been going down in Lake Powell and Lake Mead uh, and those, those upper basin reservoirs is, you know, what, what's the prospect up there? Right, because right. That's, that really links into, you know, some of our larger cities in Arizona anyway. And as we mentioned earlier, the snowpack in southern Colorado is critical for the Rio Grande. Absolutely. And, yeah. uh, lots of communities and lots of uh, irrigators there. Well, currently Lakes Powell and Mead sit at about 55-ish percent of average uh, capacity level. Yeah. So um, it, it went up a couple of years ago, but it went down pretty quickly. Yeah, it wasn't. You know? Right. It wasn't sustained. So we, you know, we could use another winter in the upper basin like we uh, had a couple of years ago that yeah. really you know dumped some record snowpack it's not out of the question not, really you know it's not like we're predicting it but right. it's, it's not right. out of the question i mean i basically sitting here as we're talking i can hear the sound of a giant shrug 
<laughs> what the heck's gonna happen? Nobody, yeah. nobody knows. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, with one more month under our belt, when we come back in a month, uh, we should have maybe. Well, I hope it's snowing. I hope <laughs> yeah. it's snowing somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. We'll we'll take a look at the Upper Colorado and Rio Grande basins in terms of snowpack in in, in a month and, and and check in up there and check in on our water supply again. Yeah, the, I was looking at the Upper Basin NIDUS uh, report that, that comes out every week, and they said that they're they're off to a bad start with the snowpack. Well, so. Well, it's not encouraging news, but it's still yeah. early. It's it early. is still, still early. early. It's early. Yeah, it's right. first inning, right? All right. Okay. Well, uh, that'll that'll wrap us up here. We'll we'll be back in a month to uh, discuss uh, the, the the previous month and look forward again. So thanks for tuning in. If you want to find us on the web, um, this podcast will be uh, put on two places: uh, southwestclimatechange.org and uh, the climate assessment for the Southwest at clemas.arizona.edu and Clemas is spelled C-L-I-M-A-S. Let's call it Clemas. Come on. Get with it. Yeah, that's before my time. Uh, um, okay, great. Thanks, thanks, Mike and Greg, again, for, for chatting with me. And uh, I'll see you guys soon, or at least in a month.